0: We're talking about the good life, right? And what I want to say tonight is that the good life is a sustainable life. But before I get into that, I want to tell you guys, last year around Christmas time, which is pretty ironic, okay, I went on a pretty extreme diet, all right? And maybe you're looking at me right now and thinking, wow, Bryson, you didn't really need to go on a diet. (laughs) And what I want to say is bless your heart, okay? Um <laughs> anyways uh guys I uh the reason why I wanted to lose some weight is uh I played left tackle and uh in college I played left tackle. If you don't know what left tackle is, if you've seen the movie The Blind Side, uh that's the position, all right? And if you don't know that, it's the guys that block for the quarterback, okay? And I was one of them. I was a I was a bigger boy, right? I was stronger, I was strong. I could lift a lot of weight, you know, all these different things. But guys, listen, when I went to college, I went in as a tight end because I was afraid to be, to be fat. I was afraid to be, that was, it was, it's ridiculous, I know. Um, but uh, here's the thing, right? I felt, another thing was when I was younger, something, something happened to me where I started having to wear Husky jeans. Anybody have to wear the Husky jeans? uncomfortable, but you know, we work through it. Right. But the reason, but here's the real straw that broke the camel's back. I saw my brother do this diet and he, he got, he looked good. I was like, if you can do it, I can definitely do it. Right. And so I started the diet. Right. And uh, like I said, it was pretty intense. I was measuring out all my food. I never cheated. Um, And before you think Guys, I gained all the weight back, so don't worry, all right? Okay, gained it all back. I'm still eating unsus- kind of unsustainably now, but uh, it's more healthy, all right? Just a precursor. But anyways, um, I did not cheat over the holidays. I didn't do any of the, uh, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas, no cheating. Um, and this went, and I, and I lost weight, right? And uh, it was over the winter, Right and I, and I thought I looked pretty good. I didn't post any fi- pictures on Facebook or anything. I was like, wow, you know, I looked pretty good. But uh, the diet had some downsides. The diet had some downsides, okay? Um, one of those, right, was if I, if I stood up too fast, I felt like I was going to pass out. <laughs> it's ridiculous, I know. Um, <laughs> another one was... Uh, I am a, I'm a warm sleeper. All right. I'm a warm sleeper. Okay. And I lost all this weight and I was down at a really low body fat percentage and I became extremely cold. Like no matter how many blankets I put over my body, I was freezing cold downside. Right. Um, and the third one was, uh, now this is the one that really like was becoming concerning. Um, My hair was starting to fall out. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I was like, I would wake up in the morning and then like, I would have hair on my pillow. I was like, oh my gosh. Crazy thing is I still went, like, I wasn't all the way done with the diet, but I still went on doing it. Here's the thing. Like I said, I ended up reaching my goal. I got skinny and I did all these things and I looked good and whatever it is. Um, But it wasn't worth it. (laughs) It was not worth it. All right. Trust me. Um, and then the other part of it is uh, it just wasn't sustainable. It didn't really te- It taught me a couple good habits about, like, measuring my food. But most of all, it just it's not healthy, right? I realized it wasn't healthy. Um, and the ironic thing is, is, like, I'm married. My wife didn't even care that I had lost weight. She was, like, frustrated at, with me that I was, like, I was moody all the time. Um <laughs> I wasn't really happy because I couldn't eat anything. (laughs) And then I went home. Like, I went home and I just like, so I live in Illinois. I went home and I just, my mom was cooking up some food and I broke and I broke hard. (laughs) Like 10 pounds, like break. And yeah, so anyways, but like I said, right, I think oftentimes um, we find that once we reach our goals, whatever goals they are, they don't necessarily leave us feeling fulfilled, right? Um, oftentimes a lot of our goals are centered around us. They're centered around ourselves. I can easily look back at my fitness goal and, and think, wow, this is really me centered. It was about the way that I looked and um, I desired to be a certain way. And some of this was actually based in when I was a child, getting called names and stuff right, like that. So some of that's actually, there's some trauma a little bit behind that image stuff, the way that I viewed myself. And then culture telling me, that I need to look a certain way, that we need to be a certain way um, and ultimately ultimately it was bad for us. I think many of us have desires that our world tells us we need to have, that our culture tells us that we need to have. We think, man, once I get once I get this job that 's when the good life is going to start to happen. Once I get married, man, once I get married, then everything is just going to get better um, once I, once my kids go off to college, I don't know, it could be a bunch of different things, right? We're all looking for that, that marker that we think, wow, once I, once I get this, once I get that, that's when life's gonna get good, right? Um, some of those things aren't even bad. Some of the things that we desire are not bad things, but the problem is, is when we make them everything we are. Like our whole entire identity is in being married. Our whole entire identity is in being an employee of this company, that's when it becomes sinister. That's when it becomes painful. Internally, we want to be taken care of. We want purpose. We want something that can give us meaning. We want to leave a legacy. But what our culture teaches us and tells us, this is how you can do it, is ultimately empty. It's not sustainable. Our creator wants to build our life. He wants to give us purpose. He wants to give us something that's so much better than what we have. He wants us to build it on him. Um, and in him, he says, is the only place that we can actually find a sustaining life. So uh, before uh, we get started breaking down the verse, I just want to walk all the way through it, right? Read the whole thing. Because um, we've been walking through this series um, section by section, and I was assigned 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. So if you want to Open it up, but it's also going to be on the screen. Don't feel guilty about that. I'm that guy, okay? That just lets the screen show it for me, all right? All right. I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world of the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Take a little drink real quick. So uh, last week, if you weren't here, Dave talked about sacrificial love. And one of the things that he said is that one of the ultimate commandments that we hear all the time is love somebody else like you want to be loved, right? And then Dave kind of reoriented that. What Jesus says is love others like I have loved you. And the way that Jesus loved us Christians in the world is by giving everything for us, every single thing Jesus gave. So Dave challenged us with giving everything away for Jesus, right? That's a pretty crazy challenge. Um, With this, guys, I wanna give us a little, some refresher themes before we go in, just because you, just in case you weren't lucky enough to attend these last few weeks, I'm gonna give you guys a little refresher. Um, so one of the main themes to understand about 1 John is that there is some false teaching that's going around in the church. And the apostle John doesn't want the people to be believing in this false teaching. He doesn't want them to be lied to. He, doesn't, he cares about the way that they believe, right? Because it matters. And the false gospel was this gospel called Gnosticism. If you don't know what Gnosticism is, I know we've talked about this the last few weeks. What Gnosticism is, is it's basically everything turns into being about you, right? So what they believed is that there was two gods in the beginning, right? That God kind of created, when God created the universe, that he kind of messed up. And then there was a second God that came in and wanted to fix everything and who was trying to give the people secret knowledge, right? So ultimately the Gnostics believe that the snake was a part of God's this plan to um, reveal secret knowledge and that this savior, that the savior Jesus Christ came to reveal secret knowledge to us. Now that our life in Christ was about gaining knowledge and that the world was ultimately pretty bad, but it wasn't something to like be loving or doing any of this stuff. It's the implications was that the people, that Gnostics kind of just did really what they want and they were looking for knowledge. It's very similar to our culture today in a lot of ways. A lot of times as Christians, we think, man, I wanna wanna gain all this knowledge so then I can be a Christian. Then I'll really know what God has for me. But John is preaching against that, especially in this verse, right? Like I said, it was deeply individualistic. They weren't really loving the people around them. All the implications of their faith were messed up. So he wanted to set them right. He wanted to show them. He wanted to to show them what this better life actually looked like, which brings us to the first section. Um, So there's three parts of this verse. One of them, the first section is is this re-identification section. The second section is where they're set apart and he leaves us with a section where he tells us to do God's will. What does it look like to do God's will? So, flip over here. So in the first section, it's kind of weird, right? He he says, I'm writing to you, fathers. I'm writing to you, young men. I'm writing to you, children, right? That's kind of weird. It's like a, it's like a break right there. And he just puts this section in. But like I said, Dave, everything before this, he's writing out, he's showing us all this theology. And it comes to this section right here where now he has to re-identify the people, right? He says things like, I'm writing to you, children, because you have been forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you, have, like, I, because you know him who was from the beginning, all these different things. He's actually talking about children, fathers. What he's actually talking about is different generations in the faith, right? So there was the older people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know him, you know him. You don't have to be looking for a bunch of knowledge. You already know him. Stop looking for all that stuff. You already have perfect union with him. When you accept Jesus into your heart, you have, you have perfect union with him. And he says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one, right? We have already overcome Jesus right now. In him, sin no longer has any burden on us, right? He he has overcome that we are forgiven. So he's showing them who they are, right? After all of this, this is what the implications of our faith. Jesus sets us apart. He forgives us. Therefore, which leads us to our next section, the section that we're really gonna be focusing on tonight. That's the do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So um, I want to dig into these these words because they're kind of weird, right? We don't really like refer to them as those things, but starting with the lust of the flesh. So the Bible defines um, the, Bible, the Bible defines us not necessarily as sexual desires, which is what we oftentimes think they are, um, but as human self-seeking. Humans, Ephesians 2:3 says, "All of us who lived, all, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we're by nature deserving of wrath. Lest the flesh is anything that binds our body to this world, this could be food. This could be comfort. This could be sex. Anything that like binds us to being human creatures, we can lust after, right? Lust of the eyes is anything that attracts your eyes, right? So this can be cars. This can be like status. You can see status on people, right? Sometimes like purses and stuff like that. Some of that is good to you, right? You want that. You want those status symbols. Like I want that life. That's the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is anything that gives you purpose outside of God. Like, man, I'm, I'm this. This is what I am first and foremost, right? Anything that you think is going to give you your purpose in life. We see those themes. So the Bible talks about these themes often, right? What these three things are. In Genesis 3, it's right in the beginning. It's right in the beginning. In Genesis 3, 6, if you know the story of Adam and Eve, when the woman, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. We see that it was good for food. She saw the apple, and she was like, wow, this can meet a need of mine. Oftentimes, sin can really actually meet a need of yours. It meets a desire that you have, right? It was also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life right? So this was going to make her like God. It was going to give all this different stuff to her. And then she took some and ate it. And uh, yeah, it's pleasing to the eye. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took it and ate it. So um, we also see this with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right? We see these same three temptations come up right there. In Matthew chapter four, one through 11, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's the lust of, that's the flesh, right? He was hungry. The tempter came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, tell all these stones to become bread. Then in in verse six, it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from the temp- throw yourself down. Show us that you're powerful. Show us that you matter. Show us who you are, prove it to us, Jesus. And then verse eight, again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will just bow down and worship me. Jesus wanted to come and save us. He loved us. This was tempting for him. He wanted to be that. He just wanted everything to be given to him so he can take care. So this was a, a temptation, Right? This was the, the lust of the eyes. It, he sees, he saw something that he desired. Like I said earlier, some of these things like, are not sins in themselves. However, we are born into sin. We turn these desires toward ourselves. We turn God's creation, what he made for him, and we turn it and we make it all about us. They cause us to violate God's will and they become lust. What can this thing do for me? What can this job do for me? What can my Christianity do for me? Like, I've been doing all this stuff, God. I've been following you. I've been reading my Bible, God. Why don't I do this? Why doesn't this, right? Which I'm not saying necessarily is a bad thing, but if your faith is all about, it's, it's misguided. So um, that's what the prime doctrine of Gnosticism was. All this is all about you. All this is all about you, your job, your family. This is what makes you who you are, right? This is what it looks like. They compound on each other and they become kind of like a a big sin, right? Um, Your earthly desires is to be like, for example, you desire to be a provider, right? A lot of, this is a, a lot of people wanna provide for their family. So uh, we see a job like this job Is going to make me that provider. This job is going to give me the money that I need to provide for my family. And then you achieve. Let's say that you you make it all the way up the ladder, and now this job is everything that you are. If you were to lose this job, you're losing everything. You're losing who you are. You're losing yourself as a provider, right? Do you see how these things can sometimes not be sustainable? It can even be. It could be. This can be your marriage. If you lose this, then if, if, if that's everything that you are is finding somebody to be married to, then you could be living in sin. It can be a bunch of different things. Like I said, the sinister thing is, is that some of these things are inherently good. Like marriage is good. It's good to be a provider. But when we make it everything that we are, that's when it becomes sin. So how do we get out of this? Which is our third section. We have to substitute our will for God's. That's a big idea. In verse 17, it says, The world and its desires are passing away, but those who do the will of God live forever. All those things, no matter what they are, one of these days, you're gonna retire. One of these days, you're gonna grow old. One of these days, you're probably going to also look old. (laughs) And if you don't want to look old, a lot of people can still tell that too. (laughs) Um, Anyway, sorry guys. That was just, (laughs) Uh, living into God's will though, guys, is eternally meaningful. It's eternally meaningful. It's like, is that just going to heaven? That's part of it. But God is saying this life is sustainable for eternity, for eternity. What is this eternally meaningful life? How is it played out? So Jesus, as we see it in him, right? Jesus lives God's will. And that will was to reconcile, which reconcile means bring people back. He came for people, right? He, he was God. And the reason why he came down to earth was for us. That was his meaning. He didn't live for himself. In Jesus's life, he lives entirely for others. He is God and humbles himself to death and becomes a man. And then he goes to a cross and dies. His whole entire life is about self-sacrifice, love and forgiveness. This is where he says that we're gonna find this sustainable life. In Matthew 10, verse 39, it says, Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever is trying to look for themselves, look for their meaning, you're going to ultimately lose your life. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The question is, are you willing to give up your purpose for his? Are you willing to live for Jesus and not yourself? That's what, like, we're all looking for that meaning. And Jesus wants to give us this eternal meaning. What does this look like? How does this, what does this practically look like? If we live for Jesus, we will have an eternally meaningful life. Long after we are gone, if we're living for the Lord, if we're living for other people, if we're self-sacrificing, if we're not living for money and things, long after we're gone, what matters? The people, the people that you talk to about the Lord, the people that you brought into the faith, the people that are going to be sharing in this community with you, right? Long after you're gone, long after your kids are, are raised, right? And they're performing your, your duties, right? What you did for them and raising them in the faith is what matters, those are the things, all all those people, those are the, that's what God cherishes. And then it goes on for generations and generations after that. Like my friend, when I first moved out here, right? I uh, started talking to other different people, right? About Jesus. And then having the opportunity to be able to evangelize some people. And that forever changes their life, right? That forever changes their whole entire eternity. And then they start talking to their family members, their friends, and that changes their eternity. And then it goes on for generations and generations, right? So, um, like I said, this will continues to keep on going. So we don't just wanna talk about the Bible and give you guys a really a, a good message or whatever it is, right? Okay, too, we wanna give you guys some tools, Uh, different things that you can do to understand what what God's will is for your life, right? So one of the the tools that we're going to do today is we're going to do a listening prayer, okay? Um, We're going to ask a few questions and do a little bit of a prayer. I gave you guys, there's a bunch of sheets. If you don't have a sheet or a pen, we're going to pass around some pens right now. If you don't know what a listening prayer is, it's basically a meditative prayer asking God, what do you want from me, God? I mean, the Bible teaches us about some of these things that we know that God wants from us. We can look in scripture and know the truth of what God says to us, right? But we can also go to him and experience him in this moment, right? That's what God wants. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants from you. Um, So as soon as we get all these sheets passed out, we're gonna, I'm gonna set the space for that. We're gonna do a little bit of listening prayer. So uh, when I'm doing my meditative prayer, when I'm, before I enter into God's presence, I like to set the space, right? So the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for all of us. I'm gonna pray that we're able to focus on God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just make us aware of your presence, God. You are in and around us. You are everywhere, God. Help us to be able to focus on you in this moment, God. Help us to be able to hear from you God, bring your spirit just to show us how we can be in, how we can better worship you, how we can more experience this life, God. I pray that you would just set this whole space, this whole room right now apart for you, God. And then that's where I'm going to go into our first question. God, what things of the world. Am I focused on? You have sheets here so you can write down something or you can just pray. You don't have to write anything down. You can just use this time to focus on what God's talking to you about. I wanna remind you guys that God's also gentle He's not smacking you over the face with these things. He's he's loving you. He wants to help you. He wants to show you. He's a good father. God, what things of the world am I focused on? And then question two. God, how does my identity as your child change my focus? How does your identity in God change your focus? The words that God speaks to us through scripture are beloved, a wonderful work of art, his children, that he loves you. How does that re-identification from him change your focus? The last thing is God, how do you want me to live out your will? Dave talked about last week is it's loving others around us. That's God's will ultimately for us, is to love him and love those around us. God, who do you want me to love? Who should I be talking to? What should I be giving up? how can I live out your will? Give us a little time there. So um, with concluding those questions, I have a uh, little little story. Um, when I, uh, so I was writing this sermon, right? And uh, the hard thing about writing a sermon is it's oftentimes really convicting um, and you have to try to apply it to your life. So my mom came and visited me and we went to the butterfly biosphere, all right? And I'm like, mom, like, it's so crazy for me to wrap my head around giving my life, giving my whole entire life for people and that actually filling me up. Like it's hard for me to do that. Like I need Jesus to show me how to do that. Like this is what I wanna say that this is a difficult thing for me too. And my mom, I'm sitting there with a the butterfly on my finger talking to her about this. <laughs> and she's like, well, give that butterfly to that girl that's been searching for one for five minutes. <laughs> it was longer than that actually. I was like, I did the work for this butterfly. It's my butterfly. Literally like right after that. <laughs> ironic, right? But then like <laughs> my mom, like Yoda, she's like, that's how you love other people. I was like, oh, wow. You know, so God wants everything. And I started, and I started catching the butterflies <laughs> and, giving the, and giving them to the kids. And wow, it made them way more happy than it made me, way more happy. I was like, I got another one. When I was giving it away, it was like, It was wholesome, it was loving, it was great, right? So with that, uh, we're gonna play a song here. It's called I Surrender. I wanna invite you guys to worship in whatever way you want, meditate on this.